0: welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I have a lot to get to today and not a lot of time to do it, so I'm going to move kind of fast here. Uh, I want to make a quick announcement, though. I'm going to have Sean McGowan, who wrote the foreword to this new edition of the Confession of St. Patrick on Thursday, and it'll be posted Thursday night or Friday morning, but uh, I've read through this. It's a great little read, and St. Patrick's Day is coming up, so we're going to be talking about the life of St. Patrick, how St. Patrick should inspire Christians or can inspire us, and then Um, How do we use his life as a witnessing opportunity during the festivities that are going to be happening this weekend? Because Irish, non-Irish alike, Christians, non-Christians alike, are going to be participating in celebrating this. And um, obviously, to those who know what goes on on St. Patrick's Day, not all of it will be very Christian in the way it's celebrated. So how do we use St. Patrick's life as a witnessing tool? Uh, one other quick announcement i did say in my last video there was going to be a live chat yesterday with a bunch of brothers who are also concerned about social justice infiltrating the church we were going to talk to judd saul from enemies within the church we did do that we just didn't do it live so if you want to watch our discussion go to the first link in the info section and you can watch the whole thing i'm going to actually put a little clip from it into this, but I want you to um, go watch the whole thing if you have the time and inclination to do that. We're really trying to push this thing. I think it's going to be a grassroots effort that gets this thing across the finish line. But enemies within the church, the movie will happen. Uh, it is uh, every the more I hear, the more I'm for it and think this needs to happen. Um, you know, please, if you have some extra money that you can donate to this, go to enemieswithinthechurch.com and uh, and do what you can to help. Uh, Judd and Carrie Gordon, and uh, who's the face of this, and then um, Trevor Loudon as their, uh, and keep them in prayer. By the way, as they're making this, they, they've had some challenges uh, from others who don't want their message getting out. All the more reason to fund it. Uh, all right. That being said, let's get into the nitty gritty here. Uh, we're going to be talking about three different things. Number one, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, There was a tweet that went out from James White last week that caused kind of a firestorm, and uh, I got caught up in the firestorm, so I'm going to um, talk about this. Uh, And to put an introductory remark on this that will give some context to why I'm talking about this, I backed up something James White said. I'm going to read it. what James White said to you in a moment. But there are two basic criticisms that are made by James White and myself and those who signed the Dallas Statement when it comes to the issue of social justice infiltrating the church. Issue number one, this is the bigger issue, I'm gonna, and then we'll go to the smaller one. I mean, they're both big. Issue number one, there's a non-Christian ethic that's driving this. I would say there's an alternative gospel that's driving this, but there's a non-Christian ethic seeping into Christian communities and institutions and seminaries. I've said this before, nothing new here if you've been watching the podcast or listening. That's the critique, uh, that sociology, progressive history, these things are informing our understandings of concepts that are in scripture, like justice, uh, like repentance, and we're coming up with these new definitions that were there all along in the world, but they were not in the church, and now they're in the church, and we have a scriptural veneer of cherry-picked verses that we place over it, but... This did not come from exegeting the text of Scripture. Very dangerous to get away from exegeting the text of Scripture, especially if you are a pastor. So very concerning. Number two, the other concern is there's an emphasis problem here. And this is going to be seen in a moment as I go over some of the information about Southeastern. But what are institutions designed to train pastors doing when they have degree programs coursework um, that is not understanding the bible or theology and disseminating that to others communicating that but is something else Um, you know southeastern was the great commission seminary it still claims to be but i think that's changed and i'm going to show you some things uh about that but but the emphasis is the other critique that's been made now here are the critiques that have been made about our critiques. And I saw this, it was clear to me, and I thought, you know what? This is going to be beneficial for you all who are perhaps, um you know, maybe some of you are fighting it. Maybe some of you don't know what to think yet, but I think this will clarify some things and help you. Number one critique made against people like James White and myself is you guys are the tinfoil hat guys. I mean, there's nothing going on. You're making it all up. So if you post this is this happened uh you you post here's the degree program in social justice southeastern has well i need to see the coursework okay here's the coursework well um or the classes i should say well i need to see what's in those classes it's it's like a black hole you can't win no matter how many pieces of evidence you use to prove you could send them here's the kingdom diversity website it's never enough you know it's just like always needing more evidence it it seems that way at least to some people. Not everyone, but there is this hunger for more evidence, more evidence, more evidence. Uh, the evidence is there. Um, you know, there's no watchdog that I know of that's perusing the archives at Southeastern. No one paid me to look at any of these things. I ju- I did not take hardly any time to go through some of the things I'm about to share with you. And it's I'm, I'm, it's scratching the surface. I I don't have the time to look into these things. I simply do not. Um, but but I need to shine a light on some of this because when I was a student there, it was constant. I, I couldn't have caught all of it. There was things going past my head. I thought, you know, someone should have should should mention that. Uh, but if you're in the environment, you get used to it. And if you're outside the environment, then you're not aware of it. Except now, there's been so much going on in regards to social justice, so much chatter, that people outside the environment, like James White, who's not a student at Southeastern, are hearing this and they're saying, "Oh goodness." <laughs> Did not know that this was going on. So um, so that's one of the criticisms. You guys are the tinfoil hat guys. The other criticism is, and this is maybe a more important one. You know, you guys just don't think scripture should apply to the public sphere. You don't think politics and culture uh, are the responsibility of the church to prophetically speak into. This is kind of a ridiculous critique, now, speaking autobiographically for a moment, I like Van Til. I like Bonson. Um, you know Francis Schaeffer, a student of Van Til's, love his work. Nancy Piercy, student of Schaeffer, her book Total Truth recommended all the time, because I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. When Scripture talks about economics, it applies to the public sphere as well as the, the sphere of the church. It, it applies everywhere. Uh, of course, I believe that. I've never heard anyone make this critique that. I'm people on my side are purported to be making. We haven't made that critique. The, I, I've just laid, labeled our two concerns, right? And that wasn't one of them. We, we're not sitting there saying, we think that we should only focus on the gospel and that's it. And, you know, the Bible has nothing to say about economics or justice. And of course, the Bible has things to say about those topics. Uh, We just don't think that um, we should be going outside of Scripture to interpret what Scripture means when it says those things. So this is a straw man, but it is a straw man that is there for a reason. And I went through a couple chapel messages, uh, just some clips that uh, two of them I had heard, one of them I had not, uh, and they were in Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary's chapel. And it was almost like these three guys were reading from the same script because they made that exact same critique and, and said, essentially, if you don't think social justice is an issue the church should be concerned about. Well, you just don't think that the Bible has any authority to speak into the public realm and you need to repent of that. And so the conversation becomes pointless because it just becomes, well, you just need to repent and there's no, discussion just breaks down and just accusations uh, fly all over the place. So um, I'm gonna get into the weeds a little bit in a minute and I'm gonna tell you who those people were and what they said uh, in more detail, but this is the bird's eye view. This is what's going on. So that's the first thing, Southeastern. I think this will benefit you uh, if you are someone who's involved in these discussions. Hopefully it'll make them more clear, more fruitful, and maybe give you something to think about if you're not on um, of the opinion that I hold. Or if you do, then it'll give you something apologetically to use. Secondly, uh, J.D. Greer said some things last Sunday which leave me scratching my head and they're concerning. Someone in his church sent it to me. I don't think anyone else has covered this to my knowledge, but they are concerning. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, boy, he's on a roll lately. Uh, it is concerning. He said a lot of good things, but it's like that error that is mixed in with the truth. Not a good thing at all. And then uh, the last thing is something that I failed to mention because I hadn't connected the dots, but I do believe students, or or it's uh, I think it's called Young Americans for Liberty, a uh, libertarian organization, kind of a Ron Paul organization on a lot of college campuses. I believe that they funded or supported or somehow sponsored the LGBT and Me Too protests that happened at Liberty University last week. And I, I'm like 90, 95% sure about this. I want to show you the evidence I have. I actually messaged them, uh, Young Americans for Liberty, and they have not replied to my email, which might be telling in and of itself. I don't know. Uh, but I'll show you what I have on this and and the reason it's important is because I went to their page and I have a lot of mutual friends, conservative people who like young Americans for liberty and it's concerning if their certain chapters perhaps or certain areas certain schools um they're pushing l g b t stuff so uh I want to shine a light on that, and I wasn't looking for it. I literally stumbled into it, uh, which is amazing to me. After after having Judd Saul on and talking about all these outside organizations funding social justice on uh, Christian campuses, uh, college campuses, I just stumble into it. It, it It's amazing to me. So uh, let's start, though, with Southeastern. So this is what James White said. He said, Shall we cut to the chase? Social justice, cultural Marxism, intersectionality, victimology. Thinking has taken over Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. This is a given. I agree with that. Any unwritten but obeyed rule that says silence, no warning is poison to the church. Yes? No. Now you all probably know my answer. Yes, it is poison. And he's talking about what he terms to be the 11th commandment, this idea that you shall not criticize a Southern Baptist. And and it's concerning that um, those who, who know better or who should know better are uh, not saying anything while this is going on. And so... um. What is going on at Southeastern's campus? Now, you can watch my hour-and-a-half-long video where I give you a lot of information about my experience. There's a couple of things I left out uh, that I thought about later, and maybe I'll incorporate some of those. Uh, but but here, here's just a, a sampling. Again, skimming the top of the water here, skimming the surface. This is an um, article by the Intersect Project. Now, those who... Uh, here, I'll show it. Those who do not know the Intersect Project... The Intersect Project is funded by Akoinomia Network. And uh, I talked about this in the episode with Judd Saul, the first one uh, on uh, enemies within the church, but Akoinomia Network funds this, and it, it's not good money <laughs> coming in. We'll put it that way. Now, I'm going to jump through a bunch of the things that this article says, but I, because it, it, I could spend all day on this. There's a lot of really not great stuff. Um, especially the, the history section kind of aggravates me because it's just not informed. Uh, but but let me read for you um, this section here. All right, this is uh, under number three: expand your knowledge of your context's history. Okay, so 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 again, top of the page here. This is we're trying to get some racial reconciliation here, right? So how do we get that racial reconciliation? Well, first of all you got to question yourself. Have you ever questioned why that's just the way things are when it comes to racial disparities in your community? Have you ever questioned that? Um, Do white flight schools exist? Does the company you work for have a white leadership, yet many people of color are employees? Do children of color sit separately from white children in the cafeteria? Is your city a major city for refugee resettlement? What are the stories of indigenous people where you live? You can find helpful resources with extensive research to help you understand the history behind the way things are when it comes to race. For example, if you wonder why Sunday mornings still seem so segregated, where should you go? Read Divided by Faith. Now, vodi Bakum, I talked to him. He's a Southeastern grad a couple months ago, and I asked him, where did all this stuff start? It just seems like it, it's like so suddenly this social justice emerged. and He said he thought that the book Divided by Faith was a big part of the emergence of this movement. So there it is, Divided by Faith. Now, let me ask the question. Uh, Southeastern put this on their social media. I only saw it because when I was logging to my student account, when I was a student there, it was right there in front of me. And uh, I clicked on it and read it and was, read it with my wife. We were both a little shocked. Um, now, no, not, nothing shocks me, it seems like. But I want these questions to be asked of Southeastern. So have you ever questioned why that's just the way things are, racial disparities? Now, Southeastern is in Wake Forest very white community, if I do say so myself, having lived there uh, outside of Raleigh. Do white flight schools exist? Well, I don't know what you call the school that's directly across from Southeastern. A white flight school? I mean, I guess it would be, according to how the left defines things. Uh, Does the company you work for only have white leadership, yet many people of color are employees? Southeastern and a lot of the churches that the men at Southeastern go to would probably fit into this category in some ways. Uh, yeah a lot of white leadership and I can speak just as a student yeah there were some people of color that did more some of the more menial tasks and so forth uh, on campus does that mean I went to like a racist institution at southeastern was I part of I mean I I feel like they're shooting themselves in the foot when they say things like this but but here it is uh, right in front of us Uh, here's another one do children of color sit separately from white children in the cafeteria when I first went to college, I remember in the in the community college, I started out in community college that I went to, there was some segregation, I guess, when, when I, I, I mean, I would have to think about it, but as I think about it, yeah, there were different people that hung out with people that were like them, listened to the same music, because uh, a lot of times in the cafeteria, they're listening to music, they're watching something, not going to class. <laughs> that was the cafeteria at the school that I started going to uh, when I first started going to college. Uh, people that are from the same area have the same interests. I mean, that's just kind of natural. That, and it's not because there's division; it's because there's unification. You unite with people that tend to have similar interests. That's just human behavior. There's no. That doesn't mean you're racist. Uh, now, I, I'm thinking back to this particular cafeteria. Those who were sitting separately from one another um, weren't. It, it wasn't all along racial lines, but I, I could see very easily looking at the big picture and saying, well, this is along a racial lines. You know, look, there's 10 white kids over there and there's one black kid or, and look at there's 10 black kids over there and one white kid. So, I mean, there were some exceptions, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there, there was some of that, but there were also other people, there's Hispanic people and, and other races and ethnicities all mixed in. I never thought a thing of it, but apparently that means that I'm just not in touch with, uh, my own self, I guess, when it comes to these issues. Uh, and I need, this is part of the getting woke thing. We, we, we're, it's training your mind to think differently. If you didn't notice race before, you just treated everyone the same. Now you have to think about race. You have to, or else, you know, you're not for racial reconciliation. Uh, it's, it, it's really concerning, this stuff. And and it this whole thing, is, article is crazy. I, I don't, um, but it, but it comes from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. The person who wrote this, I, I don't believe for a moment they themselves, you know, just came up with this and they're crazy. All you know, they learned this from somewhere, and it made sense to them the way it was presented. So, uh, I'm again skip, skipping along the top of the surface here. Here's Kingdom Diversity's website. Now, if you go through this website, um, you are going to find a lot, a lot. I, I would recommend if you are. doubter when it comes to southeastern baptist theological seminary being on the social justice bandwagon you need to go to the kingdom diversity area and just see the kinds of things that are being posted there um it's i mean i thought it was quite eye-opening the first time that i went here i mean look critical race theory there we already have it um i know uh there's another critical race theory lot of critical race theory stuff, remembering James Cone. I mean, if you know anything about James Cone, you will know that he was not a Christian theologian in the orthodox sense at all. And uh, and so um, part of the motivation for this, I believe, is actually down here. Um, (laughs) When I looked at this from 2015 to 2016, look, we increased 14% to 16.15% in the non-white population. Now, non-white is right, because, you know, when I hear people even on my side of this debate saying it's the race issue. I, I, I don't like that so much because you know what? It's not the race issue really. It's, it's not every race being equal and we want multiculturalism. It is against white people. The efforts are against being white. It's the anti-white issue. It's not is the race issue, but, but here we go. Uh, I mean, this is kind of, A pathetic thing to tout 14% to 16.15%. And look, it it goes back 2016. You, I mean, we're in 2019 now, Uh, but it's, I mean, they're bragging about native American 0.5%. I mean, his name is Bill. I mean, there's, I I was on this campus. It's very white. I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about exactly here, but, um, but, but yeah, they're, they're very proud of this and I'm going to kind of go on a tangent here, but I think it's an important one. I know someone who was part of the Southeastern Society, one of the donors, and they're not now, but they were last year up until very recently. And they told me in the last meeting from 2018 that they were at, the provost essentially made the argument that Southern Baptist Convention is losing members. And in order to replace these members, social justice was part of the effort or getting the kingdom diversity, I should say, was part of that effort, trying to get people who are, not white, into the school. They're going to save the Southern Baptist Convention. I do think there's a pragmatic element to this. I really do. So, um, for what it's worth, uh, I'm going to keep going here with a few other things. Um, I've mentioned this before. There's more, I guess, sources that I could cite. Here's one of the main ones, though, and and I want to draw attention to this. Kern Family Foundation. they They put a grant out there to Southeastern. They give them some money what was that money for? And if you read, if you read, if you watch the first episode I did with Judge Saul, we talk about Kern Family Foundation. Oh, there it is. A coin to me and network right there. That's, that's even worse. Uh, that's coming into Southeastern. And what is it for curriculum development? Uh, head of kingdom diversity, Walter Strickland is part of this crafting of this, uh, Bruce Ashford. I'm going to talk about him in a minute. Um, so, and what kind of courses are we talking about? Well, uh, theology of vocation, uh, economics, poverty, and wealth. Um, so so these are the kinds of things that Kern is funding. I, I am fairly confident that this new program that I'm about to show you probably has some Kern money, and I can't verify it because, you know, Southeastern doesn't publish everything. Uh, not all the information is necessarily out there on this, but um, this is this is a new effort, and it's concerning uh actually before i get there yeah i was just gonna show this real quick this is the front of the college of southeastern's website look i'm going to empower women and i think what this uh, dear young lady means by this uh, is that she is going to go as she says uh, empower women to be good stewards of the word but that phrase empowering women that did not come from a christian context i mean these are people going out to do ministry to be missionaries Empowering women is not part of the great commission, you know, which is what that sign is supposed to represent. It's one of the aspects of the great commission. I am going to what preach, teach, disciple, baptize, um, or a place. Usually someone puts it like like here. I'm going to Kenya, this girl says. But empowering women's not part of that. But now because the, you know, social justice is a gospel issue, you can have something like this. Uh so so now let's go to um this new program here. So the new program is justice and social ethics. You can major in this. Now, what's the purpose of majoring in justice and social ethics? Well, here's what it says. It's for people that want to be in ministry, pastors, military chaplains, uh, missionaries, right here. It says that. So, so if you want to be a pastor, well, maybe you should major in justice and social ethics. Well, what will that do for you? It will give you, in the words of Southeastern's website, a prophetic edge which I think is for some reason hysterical. I don't know why, but it's like, it's a weird way to phrase it. You get the prophetic edge. You can, uh, I guess, speak truth to power, like, you know, kind of like in the way the Old Testament prophets did, but it, I don't know. It'll give you an edge somehow if you want to be prophetic. Now, what kinds of courses are in this justice and social ethics degree? Well, we have. Social justice and race relations. Well, what's that? A study of the ethics of social justice and race relations in light of biblical principles, theological doctrines, and historical expressions with special attention given to the church's task in promoting social justice and confronting discrimination. Let me read that again. The church's task in promoting social justice. You heard it here first. Church's task in promoting social justice? I thought this was the Great Commission Seminary. I thought that's what was going on here. Um, But no, apparently that's, you know, part of the Great Commission is empowering women. Part of the Great Commission is social justice and furthering that, promoting it. Uh, Here's another course they have, Ethics of Wealth and Poverty. Now it's interesting the way these things are phrased. Instead of saying just like biblical economics, it's the ethics of wealth and poverty. Notice how wealth and poverty they're contrasted here. You know, there's two different things. There's wealth and there's poverty, and that's what we're going to study the ethics of that. You know, what does that mean? You know, th- this was this would not have been in any biblical uh, like a Bible degree or a seminary curriculum even like five years ago, but now this is in the church. This is a change, and that's part of the the point is that. Um, this is something that's new. It's a deviation. For the life of me, I can't figure out why Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary would drop hermeneutics as a requirement from their MDiv program and then come up with a major for their undergrad that's this. I I just don't get it. It, it, There's a mission drift going on. And if it's hard to see that, then I don't know what else I can say. It it seems fairly obvious to me. So um, a couple more things... Regarding Southeastern, I want to talk about this uh, I mean this stuff is just if you're listening and you're not watching it's uh, you're not going to see any of this but what I'm doing is I'm walking through I'm just skimming the top of the surface I went to southeastern's Twitter feed and I just saw you know just a few things that uh, you know while I was there you know, half an hour or whatever not even I was probably there like fifteen minutes if that. You know, just looking for what they had. And, and this is the kind of stuff that was there. So social justice is just all over the place. And the conversations about, I mean, this is the emphasis thing Discussion, uh, discussing the importance of race relations within the church, um, racial reconciliation in the church, social media and race, ethnically diverse community. Uh, I mean, and, and I could have picked a lot more, but this is it's constant. This is a message Russell Moore gave. I'm going to read you a clip from it, in chapel last year. And this is uh, important because I think this is where one of the criticisms made against people like myself and James White and all the other Christians who are concerned about social justice is coming from. So Russell Moore said in this chapel message which was called the morality uh, morality justice and the gospel according to Jesus from second Kings 21 by the way there wasn't a really a lot of exegesis of second Kings 21 it was kind of a launch sermon uh, but what he said is here, here's a quote how dare you and I should set this up he is basically impersonating myself or James white or someone uh, like Tom Buck who would be against the social justice infiltrating the church he's saying this is what they say this is what I say. How dare you talk to me about issues I want to classify as social justice? Because the gospel has nothing to say about the way we live together in groups. Now, is that what we're saying? The gospel has nothing to say? Of course the gospel has something to say. The gospel informs the way we interact with everyone. I don't understand. No one has said this. He cannot provide a citation for this. He won't try. I'm sure he won't try. There's no way. But this is the accusation, and I'm going to show you that this accusation is made constantly by prominent evangelical leaders, and it is deceptive, and it needs to be apologized for. If There's no evidence for it, which there isn't. I mean, I, I know what the guys on my side of this issue are saying, and they're not saying this. This is the, the issue that really needs to be repented of, misrepresenting us this way. Here's what he says again. Social just injustice could include the crucifixion of an innocent man. So here. <laughs> So if you're against social justice, are you for the crucifixion of Christ? So that's one of the, that's social injustice. That's part of it. Um, it, The context in which he raised that is what's concerning because he's talking about people like myself. Here's something else he says. Um, You know what? I'm not going to go into that. I I could go all day. Um, I'm going to cut it there because those that's sort of the gist of his message. Uh, but, I guess I'll leave with this one. Uh, he says, again, impersonating people like myself, let's not talk about black and brown people in my neighborhood because people will become angry with me. That, who's saying this? I, our motivations are because we're afraid people will become angry with us. That's why we don't talk. So, so it's, it's all nefarious. Um, <laughs> Paul says the gospel is a gospel of justice and justification a gospel of justice and justification. What verse says that? This this is what Russell Moore is saying. This is at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary's campus, in chapel, within the last year. Uh, here's another one. Uh, this is Bruce Ashford, and he preached. I actually listened to this one while it was going on, while I was on campus. Here's a quote, and um, I'm going to give you kind of, I'm, I'm going to set this up. He's, preaching on daniel 3 i mentioned this in one of my previous podcasts and he's saying that we shouldn't bow to the state it's idolatry and he makes this point he says human beings are idle factories right calvin says that's true and then he he goes on to say well i'm not being partisan here um is and and he criticizes the left i'm gonna give him credit there he says you know they value sexual ethics too much not ethics (laughs) the opposite they value their sexual license too much and they throw out sexual ethics and then he says Is there a form of it, meaning idolatry, is there a form of idolatry that grows more on the right, that refuses to have any economic norms ever? I don't know who he's talking about here. Maybe like an extreme, like an anarchist position, like no economic rules. I mean, like this is not people that have any power or control in the conservative movement, on the right, in the Republican Party, like no one believes in. No economic controls at all. They believe in limited government, limited responsibility, not just free for all anarchy. But that's what he's saying. This is this is it grows on the right. Is there any ideology that elevates the nation state or an ethno nation within the nation state to a level of ultimacy that the nation is willing to be unjust toward people who are not part of the nation state, who are not a part of that ethnic group? So he he compared. What's he talking about here? He's talking. This is the immigration issue. This is, he's speaking about it in like cryptic terms, but but you tell me what he's talking about. There's a group of people that we gotta be careful of that we don't slip into their way of thinking and they're really concerned about their ethnicity and they wanna treat people unjust who aren't in their ethnicity. Who, Who is he talking about? He says it's on the right. Is there any political ideology that elevates cultural heritage and tradition to such an extent that it's unwilling to weed out the evil and the bad that's built into that heritage? Again, who's he talking about here? Um, Anyone who has any power in the Republican Party, on the right, in the conservative movement will acknowledge sins in America's past. Uh, We will not bow to any of the false gods of our day. We should not bow to the political gods of our day. No one covered this. And, And he's the provost at Southeastern. I think one of the reasons this stuff isn't seeing the light of day more there's just There are no watchdogs looking at this stuff. There's no one paid to go and, you know, go through the archives or pay attention to what's being said at chapel at Southeastern. Um, but the information's out there. If you want to go look for it, it's there. And, you know, the thought occurred to me that, the, you know, this is kind of vague. It's not, you know, someone could say, well, he's not really saying, that. he's not criticizing uh, conservative Republicans. He's saying really extremists out there. But here's the problem with that. When he talks about the left and their idols, he talks about mainstream leftism. You know, those who would want homosexuality and abortion. That's just, that's what all of them, like, that's the, I say all of them, I mean, I don't mean like all, there's no exceptions. I mean, the vast majority, that's the Democratic Party's platform is abortion, unlimited, I mean, so he's he's used this isn't apples and oranges then if he if that's what he's doing if he's saying oh there's this really extreme group there's like a you know the Ku Klux Klan and the anarchists like are on the right I don't think that's what he's talking about because he uses mainstream examples for the left. The other thing here is I, the word dog whistle came to my head when I was looking at this uh, listening to it and I thought is this a dog whistle is this like telling everyone don't go for the Republican Party and I thought you know the left accuses. The right of dog whistles all the time like you know you were sending a racist message even though you didn't say it and i think the reason the left does that is because they're the ones that use the dog whistles people on the right don't tend to use dog whistles when i mean people on the right i mean conservatives don't tend to try to be cryptic and signal to their constituents uh while making sure everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about conservatives tend to just say what they mean um i think people on the left if you want to talk about a dog whistle, I think this is kind of maybe as close as you get to it. This is being cryptic, being not really identifying anyone, but you know who he's talking about. You know what he's talking about. So that's the provost in chapel, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, uh, here's another um, another gentleman, which some of you may recognize, but this is uh, the chapel at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Tabidi and Wibley, and He actually gave two lectures at Southeastern last year in chapel. And I remember I was a student. I listened to to one of them. And then the other one, I went back and I listened to part of the recording uh, today um, because I wanted to know what he said in both. I'm going to give you some quotes. uh, And this is from both of them. So here's the first one. Uh, This is Sermon 1, Preach Justice as the Good Life. That's the title. Here's what Thabiti says. You're hearing some of this. Oh, and again, he's talking about me, Doctor White, Tom Buck, people like us, people of our way of thinking. You're hearing some of this. You're suspicious of this talk of justice. So someone's sitting there in chapel. They're you know perhaps thinking the, the way that I think about this, and they're you know they're suspicious. Isn't this liberal? He says. Isn't that the social gospel? Has the Beatty become a social justice warrior? I would suggest to you that if you hear it that way and not merely as the word of God coming from the text, you have learned a hearing impairment. And then he goes on to say, preachers have conditioned you to hear a conversation about justice in a particular way, and we need to rework that conditioning. So there you have it. There's here's what's going on. This is Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary's chapel. We need to rework that conditioning. You've been conditioned by the preaching you've heard to see justice, and it's social justice. That's the context. Listen to the sermon. You, you've been conditioned to think about this in, in in negative terms, and you need to be reconditioned. He literally uses the word conditioning. He goes on. He trashes the American dream a bit in this. Uh, he, you know, A lot of the buzzwords, human flourishing, that there's this third way, uh, you know. It's not liberalism necessarily. It's not conservatism. It's this Christian way, which is not either. Uh, it's 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 liberal though. <laughs> it's liberal. It's like you know. I, I described it to someone today who was asking about this. I said, you know, it's really like mildly pro-life leftists. It's like if you're part of the Democratic Party, but you're gonna be you're gonna not be as aggressive when it comes to LGBT issues. Because uh, you want to balance that with religious freedom and you want abortion to to end. But you're going to be soft in the way you communicate that. That's kind of, you know, but everything else is of the left. The, the immigration issue, um, the environmental issues, uh, the anti-white, anti-Western civilization issues. Uh, so, um, and the list goes on. That's kind of what they're trying to convince people to fall into. I'm, I'm convinced at least. Here's sermon two. This one's called preach justice as true worship. This is the quote of all quotes. He says, "Perhaps you are here and you have told people that when they talk about justice, they may be liberals. Stop telling people in that frightened conspiratorial tone and whisper that they are, that they're liberals." Again, who is saying in a frightened conspiratorial tone that there's liberals? Everyone is being who's saying this, who's making this criticism is being very honest. Who's the one being frightened and conspiratorial in their tone? Again, I ask. A person is not a liberal because they care about justice. Now, the person you talk to might be a liberal, but it's not because they care about justice, because if caring about justice, here it goes, makes you a liberal, then I'm here to say that God himself is a liberal and you better become one. God himself is a liberal and you better become one. Thibidi and Wibley. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary's chapel last year telling a room full of prospective pastors about to come into a congregation near you to train their Christian leaders according to this. Because they've been programmed to think negatively about social justice. We need to reprogram. Scary stuff, guys. And it's going over a lot of people's heads. They're not seeing it. They're hearing some of the good things that are said in these sermons, and they're not hearing some of the bad things. And I, I think this is precisely why I got the reaction. I did. Dr. White got the reaction. He did these accusations because that's what they're hearing in chapel. They're hearing that, well, if you're against social justice, you don't think the Bible applies. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're whispering in these tones. Uh, No, no, you're not. Uh, We're saying it very clearly. And that's not our criticism. Our criticism is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being sold for a Bowl of porridge that's not even good porridge it's half-baked sociological ideas from a humanist perspective coming in through the church and will not give us a utopia it will not it will we will never achieve social justice on this earth um i mean our criticisms aren't even being addressed in in these chapel lectures and i know because i've listened to them and i've sat through some of them and uh and i've read enough on these websites to know what's going on as far as Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is concerned. So um, again, I, you know, my tone is is one. I yeah, there's a frustration there, but I do want to make it clear. I I do love these people. Um, I am concerned, and, and when I say love, it, it is a love that takes into account correction as well. There needs to be correction to those who are advocating this, but. There are those who are ignorant, and I always mention this, and I, and I I do love them, and I want them to come to the truth. I really do. I I don't. I want them to escape this because you know what? It's a miserable ride being a social justice warrior. It just is. It's horrible. <laughs> You're never happy because things are never right. And when you come to a Christian understanding of reality, you realize hey, the world's never right. Yeah, there's always things that you can work on, but you know what? <laughs> there's you work towards eternal things. And this maybe there's a two kingdom thing going on here versus a one kingdom thing. But you work towards eternal realities, knowing that you know you can have some joy in the journey here in life. And and I a lot of these social justice warrior types that are Christians that I know they're miserable. You know things are never right. No matter how many monuments you rip down, there's always something else to rip down. No matter how many um, handouts and and uh, quotas are put into place, it's never enough. Um, so anyways, I digress, because we have two other issues that will be shorter, uh, but I do want to get to them. The uh, second one is J.D. Greer. So J.D. Greer did a sermon this last Sunday. It was sent to me by someone, like I said, who goes to the church. Inclusive exclusivity is the name. Romans 3, through 31 is the text. It's the eighth sermon in the book of Romans. And I have been convinced now listening to two sermons so far from J.D. Greer in Romans. He is not an exegete. I've been told by the person who sent me this that he is capable of being an exegete, and he is an exegete uh, in some of these other messages, but I'm not seeing it, at least in what I've looked at. And it doesn't seem like that's, I don't know if that's not his purpose or what, but uh doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the text. It is like 90% application and not great application. So here's a, f- a few things he says. Um, I'm going to skip over some things. There's actually a bunch here, but I'm going to skip over some of the things that I uh, you know that, that could distract us from the main point. The he says the issue over law um the, the issue over the the Jewish law in the church, the Judaizer heresy in Galatians and so forth. He says that issue was really an issue over racial and cultural tensions. Direct quote from him, racial and cultural tensions. What? Uh, he also says, I'm going to develop this, or he's going to develop it, and I'm going to give it to you. Uh, he says that um, he, he goes into kingdom diversity, he even uses that word, and he says that you know, even their church has a lot of things to work on when it comes to being this multi-ethnic, kingdom-diverse church, because it's not enough to have people from different tongues, tribes, and nations. It, you, know, it's, it's, uh, you can't have the culture. The, the, he's talking about a white culture. You can't have that be the main thing that the church is known for or that the church functions under. Uh, That's not being multi-ethnic. So so he tells his congregation this. Now, again, the the issue here is we're talking about Romans 3, 27 through 31. How did we get into this rabbit hole? But here we are. He says, when Paul uh, confronts Peter about the Judaizer heresy. You know, Peter is saying, you got Christians need to um, follow the law, the ceremonial law. Paul He says, Paul is saying, Peter, at its core, racial division is a gospel issue. I guess that's in the Greek. <laughs> this is a quote from him. Peter, at its core, racial division is a gospel issue. That is nowhere close to what Paul is saying to Peter. And how you get these modern categories of, Social justice and cram them into these texts. I, I and people don't see it. I I don't understand. Here here's uh, something else. This is from the transcript of the sermon. Jews in that day took pride in their Jewishness and Romans in their Romanness, and that created arrogance, judgmentalism, disdain, and xenophobia. So <laughs> like all these words that <laughs> that that was the issue that they took pride. So Jewish pride was the issue. Roman pride that was the issue. That was the problem that uh, the council of jerusalem was addressing in acts was these pride issues today people can take pride in their americanness or southernness. okay all right this is in his very next thing he says arrogance judgmentalism disdain xenophobia racial issues so it's it's bad enough that you're saying that the judaizer heresy is a racial issue it's worse now because it's not. It's it's a gospel. It is a gospel issue because it's saying you got to do these good works in order to gain the merit of Christ somehow. And they're the Jewish religious law. But just because they originated in the context of Jewish ceremony, because that's you know who the um, the Torah was given to was the Jewish people, that doesn't make it a racial issue. Someone could have become a proselyte, and I mean um, that's bad enough. What's worse is now he drags Americanness and Southernness, so cultural distinctives, regional distinctives. So if you're proud of where you live, then it's the same as having a a racial racial pride, judgmentalism, disdain, xenophobia. That's what Americanness or Southernness is, uh, or blackness, or their Asianness, or Indian cultures, or Latino ness, or whatever. So he so he's conflating now cultural, geographical uh, identities with. Um, racial identities or, you know, ethnic identities. Uh, and he says, a racial distinctive is core to their identity, meaning the Jewish people and this whole controversy. Th- this is so far outside the scope of Romans three twenty seven through 31, but it- it's like, even if the sermon is on the Judaizer heresy and you're talking about Colossians and Acts and Jerusalem Council, I don't understand this. Uh, how do you commit these category issues without someone calling you for it? I mean, aren't there... Elders at Summit Church, so this is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's how presentism and these new categories are sneaking in to the church. It's through sermons like this, and you hear enough of them, and you start, you get woke. You start thinking about things differently. Uh, And then the last issue that I want to bring up, um, I'm I'm actually going to play for you a clip first from the interview, the discussion that we did with Judge said you have to be
1: gentle. You have to be gentle with some people because pastors are saying, "Oh, well, if J.D. Greer said this, or if Tim Keller said this, or Russell Moore said this, this has to be this has to be good because this is coming up from somebody we've looked up to for the past ten years." We have to be gentle in, in trying to wake some of them wake some of them up. They need to be woke from the wokeness.
0: Oh no, Brady,
1: oh, no. that be you term woke from the wokeness?
0: Um, yeah, I liked like the, it.
1: It's like that movie it's like that movie inception, you know it's like a dream inside of a dream we gotta wake eh, him eh, up, eh.
0: go uh. back to sleep <laughs> yes that's probably <laughs> bad that's probably bad <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but uh but what we have to we have to wake people up we have to uh but we have to be gentle about it and um and first things first though is educating people and making them aware of what the red flags are, what the talking points are because uh they're so slick at sliding this into. Uh, you know, into sermons and into Bible studies where 90% of it is great, great red meat. You're getting a lot out of it. Then that 10% comes in and you're going, whoa, where did that come from? And we have to, we have to say this is not safe and we have to, you just have to educate people in doing it. That's what the film, for, film is for to wake up.
0: All right. So that's Judd Saul, uh, Enemies Within the Church. I mentioned that at the beginning of this. Uh, They're making that film and and they definitely uh, could use your support in it. It's going to be good. Um, I should have probably played that clip before addressing Greer uh, and what's going on there, but he's spot on. And this is what Judd and Kerry Gordon and um, Trevor are all trying to address in this film. Uh, Like I said, no one is being a watchdog and... You know, you just have some people in these churches and in these institutions saying things occasionally, but no one's actually archiving this stuff and bringing it to the greater Christian community in a way that they can understand uh, where it's all there, it's cited. That's what Judd's doing. He's he's trying to create something, um, and the film is just the beginning of that. So uh, go on out there to enemieswithinthechurch.com and support this film. Now I'm going to close with... Something that uh, I thought was a little disturbing when I looked into it more, but this is the flyer from the LGBT and Me Too protest that took place at Liberty University last week, and I put some of the information on the blog, worldviewconversation.com, where this video will also be posted, and here's what I found. Here's, here's the dots that I'm connecting. So, um, this movement was supposedly sponsored by an LGBTQ and a me too group. Now, as far as I know, I looked at Liberty university's website. There is no LGBTQ or me too group on Liberty's campus. No, like student group. So maybe it's an unofficial group. I don't know, but this went out on Twitter and Facebook and uh, I don't know. It may have been on campus. I don't, I, I didn't see it. Um, but, uh, by the time I got out there, it was already taking place. So, but I did see this stuff online. It was sent to me, and the, the interesting thing is there is a Young Americans for Liberty chapter, which is a libertarian organization in the Ron Paul kind of uh, casted in that way. It's it's supposed to be. I think I think that's when it came to um, exist was during the Ron Paul campaign, and there's many Christians who are part of this organization now. In the interview that I put out there, uh, so it's the last podcast, at the 45-minute mark around there, uh, Addison Garner says, my day job is helping push free speech on campus. For work, that's what I do. And later on, um, there was some news coverage of Addison Garner, and I found out that she actually is the president of Young Young Americans for Liberty at Liberty University, so I thought, well, that's interesting. Her job is to push free speech on campus. So she's getting paid for it, I think. She says, for work, that's what I do. And she's the president of this organization on Liberty's campus. I said, okay, is that what she's doing now at this protest? Here's what the Young Americans for Liberty chapter website says. Liberty University claims to be a bastion of free speech in the midst of liberal colleges. Now I'm going to stop. That's true. <laughs> I've been on liberal college campuses. They're There is no free speech. All right. This freedom of speech does not always translate on campus. And Young Americans for Liberty at LU wants to challenge that. We strive to promote freedom of speech and freedom of assembly on Liberty's campus. Young Americans for Liberty wants to educate and equip young adults to be activists for Liberty by hosting events and educating students. Now, the only thing I can think of Liberty University having an issue with as far as this goes would be things that go directly against their core Christian beliefs. And they didn't stop anyone who was in this protest, by the way, but that's the only thing I can think of Liberty University having an issue with. So if there is a libertarian organization trying to push free speech on campus, and they're saying, hey, Liberty University says they're for free speech, but not really, what kind of speech are they going to push? It's probably gonna be something like an LGBTQ type protest, which was exactly what we saw. So, you know, I'm wondering, okay, did they fund this? And the reason I say fund is because when I was on campus, it was very cold that day. And the windshield must have been in the 20s. And there were two individuals that I saw uh, when I arrived that were passing out drinks. And and these weren't just like two students or they they definitely weren't working for Liberty University. They didn't have any uniforms or anything or tags or anything identifying them that I saw. They had these industrial like looking coolers, and they, they were nice drinks <laughs> like they were they were uh, soft beverages, but they were nice. It, it, I don't know where they got them, but they had a lot of them uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had hundreds of them there, and they were passing it out and they were being very friendly and they, in a sense like aggressive friendly uh, like they I got approached multiple times just saying, "Hey, do you want a drink?" And they were right next to like right across from this rainbow flag like clearly associated with it in some way. And so I just started thinking to myself, who were those guys? Where did they get the money to pay for that? I mean, there is no student activity fee for groups that aren't actual campus groups. So I just started connecting these dots later, and I, I sent an email to Young Americans for Liberty. They haven't gotten back to me to confirm any of this. But all this stuff makes me think they're probably behind it. And that is a disturbing thing because it verifies what Judd Saul's been saying, and he can't give up all the sources that he has uh, as far as outside groups funding um, negative, uh, well, anti-Christian or um, social justice type, uh, you know, protests like this or curriculum or, you know, advancing that cause on Christian institutional campuses. But I stumbled into this. I wasn't looking for it at all. So just, you know, very interesting uh, that that took place. So um, I'm going to end with that. Uh, Again, check out the interview that we did with Judd Saul from Enemies Within the Church. It's the first link uh, at the bottom there. If you have any information to send me, uh, especially if you're someone who's gone to one of these classes at Southeastern, you say, hey, I got the curriculum for this class. Um, Let me know. Uh, if you're someone who is part of young Americans for liberty you know let me know uh i'm I'm not like a watchdog i don't spend hardly any time on this, just as I go through life and I see things i'll say things but um but I do know others who might be desiring to look at that stuff and I can get it to them uh people like enemies the the folks behind enemies within the church I know uh you know i've been told web websites are getting scrubbed, but they're looking for this stuff and they're finding a lot of stuff so Um, If you want to be a help in that way, that that would be very much appreciated. And I think it would be a service to the church as a whole, if we can expose these deeds of darkness, as uh, Apostle Paul puts it. So uh, that is all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. God bless. And uh, stay tuned, because St. Patrick's Day is right around the corner. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be talking about one of the heroes of the Christian faith, St. Patrick with Sean McGowan, in a few days.